Hello guys, and welcome to another episode of the Influencer Podcast. And guys, this is episode 150, 150. Here we are almost three years in and 150 episodes in. And I just want to say it is such a privilege and a joy to be able to do this with you every single week to share not only amazing guests that we have come on, their wisdom, their expertise, but to share growth and to share life and to share all of the trials and tribulations that happen when we are trying to truly grow a business and life that we're super proud of. And uh, today's guest is no uh, exception to that. Now, if you have ever seen those iconic photos of the photographer in an airplane and they're looking down at maybe it's Positano, Italy, or maybe it's some other fabulous beach somewhere. And it's like the little cute umbrellas, or maybe it's something else. That is Gray Malin. He is a modern day fine art photographer, a New York Times bestselling author, and he's COO of Gray Malin. He really cultivated this new kind of style of photography, at least I had never seen it anymore, and received commercial recognition for inventive aerial beach, ski, and park scenes of some of the world's most iconic destinations. Now, if you just do a quick Google search of Gray Malin, and it's G-R-A-Y, you will see those photos, and you're going to be like, ah, I know what Julie's talking about. I have totally seen these before. He is incredible at visionary, creative, thinking outside the box, really kind of zigging when other people in his industry were zagging. And it made him become the businessman and the creator that he is today. He has a new recent partnership with the incredible company Splendid to design and produce a new summer clothing line, which is going to be amazing because of course it's inspired by his incredible photography and art. So let's get into everything gray. Here we go. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist, brand building expert, speaker, and New York Times bestselling publicist. This is where I take you behind the scenes with today's top influencers, industry insiders, and entrepreneurs as they share step-by-step strategies to help you turn your online dreams into a purposeful and profitable business. Hi, Gray. It's so great to have you with us today. Hi, Julie. Thank you for having me. Yes. And I'm so glad we get to do this. I've been such a fan of your work for so long and had the pleasure of getting to meet you and connect with you in person. About a month ago, we were speaking at Create and Cultivate, um, the same conference. And um, now we get to be here. And I'm so excited to dive into just how you've really used a very unique way of revolutionizing an industry and how you have used your own influence to really just cultivate and impact the world around you, which is so fascinating to me. So I would love to know what really built and instilled that creative passion that you have for, for photography and what kind of made you make the decision to say like, this is what I'm going to be focusing on. <laughs> wow. That's a loaded question, but I think the, yeah, <laughs> the reality is, is photography run, I run deep um, with photography. It started back in high school. I took darkroom classes. And um, I won a lot of awards in the state of Texas for my work. And then when, you know, the time came to go to college, my parents being parents, let's just say, motivated me to maybe pursue something a little bit more feasible for a career. And I'm, you know, I'm glad they did. But (laughs) the truth is, is um, I couldn't 
you know, I couldn't quite get away from photography. So I went to college, I studied marketing communications and I minored in photography. And at the time it was interesting because digital was really blowing up and I'm, I'm only 33. So it really wasn't that long ago, mm. um, how quickly photography has changed. So, um, <laughs> once I graduated college, you know, I felt comfortable with the digital photography and I landed a big, big job in Los Angeles, uh, moved from Boston where I went to school to LA for the job. And, um, it was in the film industry and, you know, I did it for a year and everyone around me was so incredibly passionate about film. And it just drove me back to the question of what am I passionate about and mm. what do I care about? And I sat down with my family, um, during this, you know, a, a weekend we were together and I said, I really, I'm really unhappy with this decision I've made with this job. And I want to get back to photography. And they looked at me like, well, great. It's 2009. We're in the middle of a recession and you want to leave this great corporate job for fine art photography. And I was like, yes, I, I, I truly feel deep, deep down inside of me that this is the right thing for me to do. And if it doesn't work out, I can always go back. But this is a time in my life where I'm pretty much carefree. I don't have a lot of expense. I don't have children. I don't, you know... And it's a time to take a risk. So I went in that direction. And like they said, <laughs> I just sort of, you know, I stepped off the the ledge and fell into, I took the, the plunge and the risk. Um, and it, it just, just ignited something very special and very authentic. Um, and as time went by, I, I started taking classes and I, talked to some mentors and they told me, Gray, you need to sign with a gallery to sell your work. And I called galleries, I emailed galleries and finally got a gallery to show my work in Beverly Hills of all places. And we had a little show and six months later, the gallery closed just given the recession, all the galleries were closing, the art world was changing. And I thought there's got to be a different way here than the, you know, the the old school, we get, you get a gallery and, and build a clientele. So I went to a little flea market in West Hollywood. It's actually pretty well known. It's called the Melrose Fairfax flea market. And mm-hmm. on Sunday mornings, um, lovely spot to go and just browse for sort of treasures for your house, uh, fun vintage clothes. And I noticed one Sunday, there weren't any, any photographers in the market. And I just thought, well, you know, if all these people here can do this, these young fashion sort of, you know, young, there were young artists, there were young, um, fashion students who had their clothes for sale. I just thought, why don't I do this? So I launched in a flea market. I, (laughs) I am really proud of launching in the flea market, but what it taught me over the two years that I did it was how to just how to talk to people and listen. Um, what I learned what people were looking for. And that was artwork that made them feel good artwork that had a sense of humor artwork that was joyful. And I learned ultimately people were sort of afraid of artwork in general. They definitely didn't feel comfortable at at an art gallery. They felt almost as though they were excluded or never really just sort of a cold shoulder. And um, no one was really guiding them and helping younger people think about, you know, artwork. And so 
I took all this information and um, I sort of launched my first big series, which was called Prada Marfa. And my Texas roots, I come from family that has a, a ranch out in Marfa. And I worked with locals um, to shoot a very comical, whimsical series around an art installation that exists in Marfa. And um, there was such a positive reaction in the flea market that it really taught me that I could make work that wasn't so serious and people were attracted to it. And that's sort of how I got my my foot in the door um, was at a flea market <laughs> talking to that. people. I love that. And, and how did approaching or, or, or stepping into your industry in that way, how do you think that 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 gave you a, a, a different kind of perspective and maybe a more unique perspective on how to connect with your ideal customer and the ideal audience of your work and to really grow and serve in that way. Absolutely. I mean, it's so important people hear these stories because you don't, you just can't become an internet sort of sensation overnight. Like it, it takes a lot of time. And also there's a huge... I, I believe in authenticity more than anything. And for me, um, I found that just being, by being myself, by being present, by not being afraid to be who I am, not to be afraid of sharing my work, all led to the ability for me to find my way in this industry. And I think what helped me the most was by doing this booth, I had a young woman come in one day and she said to me, Gray, have you ever thought of selling your work online? And I thought, ooh, no, Mm. (laughs) I haven't. And she was like, well, I just feel like there's a lot of appeal here. And she worked for a company called, I actually don't remember the name of it, but it was like an online flash sale type strategy. And during the recession, flash sale business became really popular. And... I got an email one day inviting me to join a website called One King's Lane. And I looked at the website. I think they were like one month old. And I thought, this is a great platform for artwork. I mean, look at this beautiful furniture and these, you know, interior design accessories. So I made a cold email to them. And sure enough, the co-founder got my email, reached out. We got together. I presented my work. And within like, I would say six weeks, I had my first test run event on their website. And I sold, I think like 65 prints in their 72 hour strategy, which for me, you know, I was, I was asleep while these prints were selling. I I didn't have to be there. And so it taught me, oh my gosh, there's, there's something happening here online. So to answer your question, I think I was there at a point where the industry was changing. People weren't necessarily just buying artwork in galleries. They were cozying up to the idea of buying art online. And I sort of discovered this idea and decided to move away from the flea market and to sell online exclusively. And I would never have gotten there if it wasn't for the flea market. I love that. Thank you for sharing that story because I do. I think it just it brings it all down. And I think a lot of people have this, this myth in their mind that, you know, people just wake up one day and they make it or they become famous or their work gets, you know, picked up or whatever it is. And it's, 
there's so many steps and pieces that go into getting to that day, right? Of making that happen. My friends, as creators, we work so hard creating our content. So we don't want to leave it up to things like an algorithm to determine how successful our online brands and businesses can be. And that is why I love Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs like myself build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. And I know they can help you too. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, your passions, your experiences into enriching offers like online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, communities, personalized coaching, and so much more. What I love about Kajabi is that not only does it make it super easy to use, but they don't take a cut of your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. You don't need a huge audience to make a sustainable income online. I talk about that all the time here on the podcast. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures without having hundreds of thousands of followers, and you can too. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business Go to kajabi.com slash influencer. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash influencer. Go to kajabi.com slash influencer and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions, whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business business for sponsoring the show. Um, which leads me to my next question of what you actually shoot, at least when I first started seeing it in LA, I'd never seen anyone shoot, shoot landscapes that way, shoot beaches that way, shoot oceans that way. Um, what gave you the idea to, to see the world in that way and to want to capture it in that way? Well, the beach the, the aerial beach project that I think is very synonymous with the Grey Malin name um, really started as a complete and total <laughs> happy surprise. Like um, I went to, of all places, Las Vegas with some friends. We wanted to do that LA Vegas road trip. And I got there really late one night, the next morning we were all exhausted. Next morning I pulled back the curtains. We were like 30 stories in the air above one of the largest swimming pools I'd ever seen in my life. And it was already crowded with people. And I just looked down at the swimming pool and I thought, wow, 
what a joyful scene in the bright blue water and all the colorful people in the water, uh, sorry, on the chaise loungers. And anyways, I grabbed my camera, took a photograph, um, just pressed up against the glass. And when I got back to Los Angeles, I made it my computer screensaver. And for months, I would look at this image and just feel great. It made me feel like I was on vacation. And one day the light bulb went off and I thought, oh my gosh, why do I love this image so much? What if other people would love this image? And how can I create more imagery like this? And I decided to go to Miami for the Art Basel convention that December and really just for fun and to look at what was going on in the art world. So when I was there, um, I decided to go to some of the famous swimming, sorry, famous hotels that had Art Deco swimming pools. And I asked if, you know, hey, like, can I go up on your roof just to take a quick photograph? I'm a photographer, artist, you know, and they were like, no, that's a liability, young man. Like, it, this is our Baselware swamp. This is, no, no, no. So I thought, oh my gosh, wow. What, <laughs> what can I do to get up on and, and see these swimming pools from above? So that's where the idea for the helicopter came from. And sure enough, I got really lucky just that the pilot who took me on my very first, I'd never been in a helicopter before, mind you. The, the helicopter pilot happened to also be a photographer. And he, graciously explained to me sort of how he could remove the door and how I could safely sort of lean from the side and he could turn the helicopter so that I could get this bird's eye view perspective. And that was terrifying. (laughs) It's where I actually discovered the beach because when we were flying along South Beach, I looked over and I saw all of the umbrellas, all of the chaise loungers, just beautifully organized on the sand. And I took about maybe a dozen photographs of them and got back to Los Angeles, looked through them and just thought, this is something magical. This is something relatable. This is joyful. This is, this is a wonderful, happy accident. So that ignited a huge, huge fire inside me, which was to try to take all of my savings and go to as many famous beaches around the world as possible and create a series of work that portrayed this, I guess, universal love of the beach, but from a new exciting perspective, which was from the helicopter. And little did I realize that this would lead to ultimately what I would call a global design trend. I mean, you can go into Bed Bath & Beyond now and see 10 aerial photographs for sale. Uh, I mean, it's, it's literally everywhere. Drones also came into effect, but I had no idea I was at the forefront of something that would become so popular and also give way to my first coffee table book, Beaches, which is also really synonymous with the Grey Mail name. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of amazing that it's a New York Times bestselling book because $40 coffee table books rarely make those lists as a paperback that's $12, um, that's more affordable. So that's a little bit of information on the beach um, part of my career. And what did that, that time, how was that time for you? What changed in your life? What changed in your business after just seeing so much success just from having yeah. a really unique way of thinking how to shoot something? Well, I guess I felt... I felt scared because I didn't want to be a one hit wonder. And I already had had this successful project in Marfa. And then 
the aerial beach project was going really well. And so I decided to keep pushing myself. And on top of shooting the beaches, I, you know, I really wasn't, let's just put it this way. I wasn't saving as much money in the beginning as I think most people would. I was really trying to put it back into the company. And so I, I started shooting Mylar balloons above the water um, and other beachy ideas, but that were kind of fun. And I shot an image that says, I am busy with the Mylar silver balloons in the Caribbean. And that became really big. And then I also went to Bolivia where I befriended an artist who mentored me on a project in the salt flats. Um, and I, I shot an image of these two llamas with black and white balloons mm-hmm. on back. And that series also became really popular. So I think it was really, I'm really glad when I look back and think about the fact that I didn't just settle for like, Oh, I have a successful project. I kept going. I even went to Antarctica and I shot before like the whole swan floating, what are the poolside swans became trendy. I shot these inflatables in the Antarctic tundra about a statement about global warming. And, um, and I'm just so glad that I kept digging in. And I think other people out there need to, you need to just be on your toes. Um, at the beginning, I had so much energy and I still do it. Just, I'm grateful that I spent the money I did to keep traveling, to keep expanding. And, um, and it kept me from, I think, getting into a sort of stuck in a rut creatively. I, I kept moving and that was really important. Mm, I love what you said. You, you, you just kept going, you kept moving, you kept trying different things and, and, and seeing how that worked. Um, did you have the foresight, um, to think that like, from a visual standpoint, this will be the branding of Gray Malin. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to feel like. This is the message and the feeling that I want to come across. Or was that something that kind of organically birthed itself over time? I think that the branding of our tagline is make every day a getaway was something that came after I started. But I think what set me apart from the very beginning is that I grew up with an interior design savvy mother and Mm -hmm. from a very young age understood what the design of a room was. and, And I mean, very basic, but I was really aware of paint color, of a rug, of pillows, furniture, just little things that I think a lot of people don't pay attention to. So when I, when I started my business in the flea market and and to this very day, I always ask myself, is this a photograph that I would hang on my wall in my house? Is this something I want to look at every, you know, every single day? And that philosophy, that interior design sort of thought process made me hyper aware of the joyfulness that you see in my work. And that led to the the branding, which was make every day a getaway through you know, the gray mail and photography and, and now our products. Um, so hopefully that helps shed some light on how that all came to be. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that, cause a lot of times 
I feel like people who want to start something, they get so lost in that and those ideas of it has to look a certain way and it has to be in a certain way and I can't start and I can't take action and I can't try something because it's not perfectly how I'm imagining it to be in my, in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you kind of lose a lot of the creativity when you think that way. I think people need to just remember, I mean, my story is a great example of just be yourself, try to be as authentic as you can, because that is your edge. I mean, you have it, it, you can go and listen to other people's stories like mine, but what I had was from my childhood, you know, it was deeply in, in who I, who I was and who I am from, you know, what gave me the edge. And it's easy to look like you're saying, to look at other people and say, oh, let's fit into this cookie cutter mold. But if you just can take, you know, if you can take that risk to sort of try something slightly different, that might feel more authentic to yourself. Mm -hmm. You, I believe you will find that's going to serve you in ways you don't even, you, you can't imagine possible. Yeah. Has there ever been a time that you found it challenging to discover how to be yourself? Because I feel like a lot of times people hear that, but then they get so lost in that because they really don't know what that means for them. They don't know how to define it. Did you ever have a time that you kind of navigated that as well? And, and how were you able to just have the belief and the faith and the confidence, both emotionally and mentally to say, this is who I am. This is what I have to offer to the world. I'm proud of it. And this is how I'm going to express that. It's mm, a good question. And, you know, everyone's different. For me, I think just growing up in Texas and being sort of, you know, on a, I felt like for a, lo a long time, I really wasn't able to be myself. So I, when I was, I gave myself permission after college to not have to think so conservatively. And once I was able to lift that veil off of myself, it just gave me permission to think more openly and not in a box. So yes, it's, you know, there have been times when it's hard when we partner for collaborations or partnerships, you know, I, I would rather walk away than do something that doesn't feel right. And I have walked away from global, you know, incredible projects because the partner doesn't, we're not on the same page. And I think you need to remember as you grow a business no matter how small the business is, that you should never really try, you should not do something unless it really feels right, no matter how big or small. And by avoiding those mistakes, I think if you keep it true to who you are and believe in yourself, you'll automatically be on the right path. And it sounds like easier said than done, but it really, it's true. I, I think you'll regret making if something doesn't feel right, just don't do it. Mm. That yeah. is true. Like it's a very true advice. And I've learned that the hard way and the easy way Yeah, personally. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to, cause you talked about business, 
what are some of the biggest challenges or even mistakes that you feel like you've made in your business and how have you been able to get to the other side of those things? Um, I mean, they're a little bit specific, but you know, I think building a, a team was really hard for me. There's something about the beginning of a brand when all of a sudden you go from, okay, I'm going to hire an intern to I'm going to hire an employee to I'm going to hire three employees. And today I sit at 16, I'm included. So me plus 15 team members. Um, I believe firmly in making your teammates, my teammates, my, my wonderful team feel as connected to the brand as possible. And I also really look to hire people who not only like photography, but also like interior design. So there's a shared passion. So like-minded people, um, really important to think about when you're at the beginning of that. And then for me, I mean, I've learned so much from launching an e-commerce website with sales and fulfillment and logistics. Ultimately, I realized that I couldn't do that. It wasn't me and it was sucking the life out of me. So I, you know, I I have to say you have to learn to trust other people to take over responsibility and believe in them and coach them and encourage them. Um, And then I would also say when you go to build a website and, you know, make sure you really vet five or six different candidates do your homework. I learned that the hard way. And you should not, you know, if you're going to build an online website, you should really have five different proposals from five different, you know, agencies or people before committing to that, because you learn, you'll learn a lot. Yeah. That's a great feedback of just not always going with the first person that you talk to. Especially when it's so in like your website, it's something that's so vital to the growth of your business. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, I could talk about this all day, but those are the things that come to my mind immediately. Hmm. Um, Another thing I would love for you to touch on is work-life balance. Um, You are the dad, two twins. (laughs) You've got a lot going on with your family. How... Do you, how have you learned in, in the stage that you're in of parenting to balance it all? Can you balance it all? What does that look like for you? You know, work-life balance. I wish I had a, a book that told me exactly how to do it perfectly, but those don't exist exactly to <laughs> no. Otherwise someone, yeah, but you know, I learned for being a parent, once I found out I was going to become a parent, the buildup to where I am now, my kids are almost a year old. Um, I've just learned to plan as much as possible. So I can, when I step from one month to the next, I feel really confident. Whereas before children, I felt more nimble and able to take on things Um, so I've just been planning further out and that has been really helpful. Um, it's hard because you have to, you know, you have to really line up, you know, your ducks and get things moving quicker and and think further out and strategize better. But that's been a really 
important part of work-life balance for me. Um, before that, I think I really lost work-life balance. Um, I sort of let my job, um, you know, really, I really worked so hard in my twenties. Um, and I don't regret it. I really feel like the friendships that I have in Los Angeles, if I wasn't able to make it to someone's birthday party, or if I missed something, people, my really good friends understood. And I'm glad that I worked hard at a younger age, just personally, because I feel looking back, like I had, I had the, (laughs) the energy. And, um, I also was, you know, able to do things last minute, but for for now, I have found planning is really important. And also, you know, I really have reconnected with my family, just especially the four grandparents. And really, if you are so lucky to have grandparents or a sister or a brother and an uncle, anybody, and letting them come back into your life. I mean, it's just been so sweet to, you know, just like a business, giving up control also with your own family is trusting other people and <laughs> taking taking, allowing someone to be like, I'm happy to help you if you need help next week. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, anyways, it's, it sounds simple, but it really has been helpful. Yeah. And well, a lot of times it's just asking for it. I think so many new parents just don't ask for the help that they need. Definitely. That's so true. I think asking for it's a great, it's, that's, that's the truth. And, um, the, the work-life balance is also for us, we take Wednesdays off work and work from home to have an extra family day. We found that the weekends are so just so crowded wherever we go. And, you know, we've got a double wide stroller and just, <laughs> it's a lot. So we find that on Wednesdays we can get out and there's not, you know, <laughs> as many people and we can just have extra family time. If there's something at the office that's pressing, anyone can give me a call. Um, so it's interesting how you can work that out, you know, according to your lifestyle and what, what works for you. Yeah. How has being a parent, if it has at all so far, how has it changed your, the way that you approach your work and the way that you approach your creativity? Wow. I mean, it definitely opened my eyes. I mean, there's so many things, but it, for one, for one example, it opened my eyes to we have all these beautiful just clients out there who have decorated their nurseries with our gray mail at the Parker collection, which was shot in Palm Springs at the Parker hotel. It features about, I believe 15 sort of, let's call them zoo animals living mm-hmm. at the hotel. And I did a, my first kid's book, um, around it. So it, it's amazing to see your own child looking at the elephant in the photograph and to show them your kid's book. Anyways, it made the whole series so special. And it's also, it's opened my eyes to so many brands and so many, so many just different opportunities around kids that I didn't even know existed before kids. I, I mean, there's companies I had never heard of um, I think any parent can relate to that. And, um, we actually have, I have a really exciting, I can't really talk about it today, but in 2020, we're launching a really, I mean, really special global partnership 
with a kid's company. And that just came from becoming a parent and being Mm. privy to wanting to do something exciting. And like I said, from the beginning of this podcast, authentic, uh, being authentic. And that's, that's how my whole brand has worked. It's as I navigate the turns and twists of life, you know, you can see it with the glass half full or half empty. And I, I always see it completely in a positive way. So, um, it's definitely opened my eyes to so much. And, um, it makes me think about a lot. We're, we're launching our second kid's book in May of 2020. And I got to tell you, I'm really excited about it because when I made the book, I was thinking about the book is called a world of opposites. And it's, there's so few kids books with photography. You'd be shocked. I mean, they're almost all illustration and my publisher, um, who does my copy table books really after a lot of sort of, you know, we had to get them to believe in it. They agreed to allow these photographic kids books. And anyways, it's, it's images from all over the world from different series and it's, you know, different, it's opposite words, which for learning these days, I think kids, it's interesting for them to see an image and see, let's just say, um, you know, a, a beautiful big ocean with one person in it. And it says the word empty. And then they see on the opposite page, a crowded, crowded beach with tons of people. And it says crowded. So empty, crowded. Just the whole book is using photography to show young children what words mean in, in a visual way. So just little things like this, they're so, they just become more meaningful to you and more special. Mm, I love that. I can't wait for that book. That's going to be amazing. Um, I can just see my, I have a six-year-old who's literally learning how to read right now. And so just like soaking all of that up because that's, that's what they do. They take the visual elements to explain what's happening. Um, so I can't wait for that. And I know that you mentioned you have something exciting coming up, um, in 2020. Is there anything else that you have coming up that you're just really looking forward to showing and sharing? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I think we've been in the last couple of years, I've been working on these projects where anyways, they're, they're shot at private hotels or in a private, um, place. And we're continuing to do these projects because what I learned from doing the aerial beach project is that basically anyone, I learned that there are copycats out there and you have to protect yourself. And though I cannot, (laughs) I cannot claim that aerial photography is gray mailing because anyone can take a drone or go up a helicopter. I can work on uh, getting access to places where other people possibly couldn't. And mm-hmm. I think when I shot the gray male and at the Parker project with the animals living at the hotel, it opened my eyes to working at other hotels and other private places. So since then we've released gray male at the coral casino, uh, which is in Santa Barbara. And we've released gray male at the Beverly Hills hotel and we just released Grey Malon in Palm Beach. And we are working on shooting a project in next month that's a vintage ski project in Aspen. And, and it's just so fun. 
basically right now we're working on all the 60s and 50s and 70s wardrobe for the models and the props and the, the whole vintage ski world to come alive for people to hang these timeless moments in their home. So that will come out in January or maybe February, but I believe it's January, 2020. So the evolution of the brand has been interesting and this is where we're at at the moment. I love it. Um, before we wrap up, I have one more question. What does influence mean to you? Oh, influence. Um, I would say being of influence, and I think of other people who I admire, I guess I feel like it would be a role model. Um, if you if you're influencing someone, I would hope that, or if you know, you're, when I think of the word influence, I think of being a, a good role model. Mm. That's what that. comes to mind. I love that. Well, Gray, thank you so much for being with us today and just sharing how you really started and grew your business, how you stayed true to yourself during the process of that, how it's evolved and continues to evolve. It's very inspiring and I love your work. And I know so many listening love your work. If they want to see more of your work, where can they find you online and where can they find you on social media? Thank you so much. We have a gorgeous website, www.graymalin.com. And that is just has everything you could possibly want to see. <laughs> and we have a beautiful website blog area. That's all inspirational projects and ideas at graymalin.com slash lifestyle. And then on social media, it's at graymalin. And if you want to peek into my kids and just maybe <laughs> a little bit behind the scenes, I have a separate Instagram, which is at graymalin personal, which is public. And it's just a fun space to be able to continue to be myself on the sidelines of my brand. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And cool. I cannot wait to see what is to come in 2020. <laughs> Me too. Thank you so much, Julie. All right. That is it for today. Now, as you know, some of our best conversations actually happen after the show. So I want you to find me on Instagram, head on over to our Facebook group at the Influencer Podcast, and let me know your thoughts about today's show. All right. I will see you again, same time, same place next week.